Well, good morning, La Jolla Community Church. Hope everyone's having a great morning. Thanks for joining us for worship. Um, if you're able, would you stand? Let's sing together. Let's praise the King of Kings this morning. Let thy goodness 
against the kingdom's throne, yeah. So people get ready, there's a train, it's coming. You don't need no baggage, you just get on board. All you need is faith to hear the diesel humming. You don't need no ticket, you just thank God, Lord. You just thank the Lord. And all I see is the battle. You see my victory. When all I see is the mountain, you see a mountain move. And as I walk through the shadow, your love surrounds me. There's nothing to fear for I am safe. Yes. Yeah. 
faithful and true, and an ever-present help in time of need. Lord, we presently see in the world um, what we see in the world has caused many of us to feel anxious and off balance. Thank you that we can read our holy Bibles or run to you in prayer and find our peace restored. More and more we are recognizing that we are in the world, but not of the world. We find that our refuge and rest, our strength, and our real security lie in you alone. You have promised us that if we draw closer to you, you will draw closer to us. Praise be to God. Father, we need to confess our mistakes and sin. Strengthen us to discern and flee from evil traps. Hear now our silent confession. Thank you, Father, for the truth that if we confess our sins and turn away from them, you are faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. So says 1 John 1.9. We lift up the name of Jesus and ask for emotional, spiritual, and physical healing and restoration over our church members in need. May we all experience you in a new and fresh way that is very real and very personal. Bless us, Lord, with an increased discernment 
and an extra measure of wisdom that we may not be deceived about anything. Holy Spirit, please fall afresh upon your church. Cause us to think outside of ourselves and look for ways to join you in the transformational work you want to do in our community. Quicken our spirits and equip us to go forth in your name. For it is in your name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. If this is your first time joining us for our worship service, we are so glad that you are here. On your way in, you should have received a bulletin. On there, you will find our Connect card. If you are looking to get connected with the church, we encourage you to fill out that Connect card so we can get to know you. If you have new contact information, please fill out that Connect card so we can keep you updated. On the other side, you will find our prayer card. If you have anyone in your life who is in need of prayer, please fill out the prayer card or visit our website at ljcc.org prayer. On your way out, you can drop these cards off in the foyer or the box mounted on the wall. Here at LJCC, we want to walk together in our journey of seeking after God. If you are just beginning in your faith, desire a deeper connection with God, or simply curious about the Christian walk, then please join us for our worship and prayer night, an intentional time devoted to praising our Lord. Our worship and prayer night will take place on Thursday, July 20th at 6.30 p.m. There will be songs, prayer, and a time to meet with others. Let's worship the Lord together. We hope you enjoy the rest of our worship service. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. My name is Scott. Uh, I had a re uh, this nightmare a few days ago. Maybe you've had a similar one. I have it about once a year. And here's the scene. It's uh, finals week. I'm in high school, always back in high school. And there's this one particular class that I'm supposed to go to the final. And the thing is, I stopped going to that class early on in the semester. And now I'm trying to find the class to take the final that I'm completely unprepared for. Does anybody have that nightmare? Okay, what is that? I have this, uh, I think ever since, had this uh, kind of underlying fear of being unprepared, being caught off guard. I just saw the other day, there was, I don't know if you have Facebook or Instagram, there are these reminders that come up like six years ago, five years ago, this thing happened. So six years ago, there was this memory that popped up, and it was me at a camp working with a bunch of kids for a week. And the problem was I wasn't supposed to be there. The night before this camp started, uh, and we were, the, the company I run was helping uh, Na the Navy SEAL Foundation host summer camps for all the kids of Naval Special Warfare. And they have different camps throughout the, the, throughout the country, throughout the summer. And they had hired our company to, to uh, kind of design curriculum. And I had hired speakers to go off to every single camp. There's like five different weeks, five different people, trained them, sent them out, really dynamically trained people that were mostly in youth ministry and knew how to work with kids. And the night before when this camp started, I'd sent off this guy. And I wake up the next day, and I'm getting uh, dozens of text messages and voicemails that says, uh, the guy's got to go home. He got sick. We need, you need to send someone now. And uh, the problem was, it was close. It was close enough for me to go. I was, wish I could have called someone else. There's nobody else. And so I just start driving when I get these messages. Uh, I want to take care of everybody in terms of business, but especially these group of kids. 
and we take it very seriously to support and serve them. So I'm in the car driving out to Julian at Camp Marston, a YMCA camp, and I'm driving halfway there, and I'm calling my wife, who wasn't even awake yet. Like, I'm leaving for seven days. I'm going to be gone. And then as she answered, like, where, where are you? What are you doing? And I said, oh my gosh, I didn't bring anything. I mean, we're, we're camping. We're camping in the dirt for seven days. And as soon as I show up, I realized I am completely unprepared. I had trained people to do it, but I didn't know what we were doing. I didn't know the schedule. I didn't know what I was supposed to talk about. And right when I get there, there's about 60 kids there, high school kids, and all these staff, very serious staff that take this very seriously. And they say, okay, we're so glad you're here. You're up. I don't know if you've ever had that moment before where you're like invited to go present or something and you're completely unprepared. On Friday, I was a part of a Zoom call that I was an optional invitation. I'm helping support this startup uh, by helping them design content. And long story short, I show up to the Zoom call and the CEO uh, is about to start and give this pretty big significant pitch to an investor. And I'm just there to support. I'm just there to kind of say hi and meet people, provide anything kind of in the background if I can. And the CEO turns to me in the Zoom call and says, all right, Scott, I'm gonna go get some coffee. Could you just give the presentation? I hate that feeling, don't you? I hate being unprepared. I hate that feeling where I just kind of feel like I'm on my heels, I don't know what's expected of me, I should have known this. There was years ago where I'm sitting at home late at night, like 7.30 p.m. on a weekday, and I'm getting these text messages, where are you? It starts in 10 minutes. And I didn't even recognize the number. Where am I? What are you, what are you talking about? And I quickly searched the number in my email, and I realized I forgot to put in my calendar. I was supposed to be speaking at a youth ministry event. And that maybe happens to me every three or four years where I just skip a meeting, I forget some. Have you ever had that where you just, you're the one who forgot to show up? It used to be Starbucks. I'd feel really bad. I owe you Starbucks. Now it's Zoom. It's not as bad. But I still just hate that feeling of being unprepared, being caught off guard. When I was uh, uh, coming into freshman year, my, uh, our middle child, she's going into her freshman year, and I was telling her the story recently. Right as I was going into my freshman year in high school, uh, I had planned on maybe playing baseball, but I couldn't hit a curveball, maybe joining the golf team. And kind of the last minute in the middle of the summer towards the end, uh, this neighbor down the street, kid that I had grown up with, uh, came over and said, are you going to the basketball camp? The basketball camp that was the feeder to try out for the basketball team. And I was like, what, what basketball? And I said, are you going? And he's like, yeah, I'm going. I, I want to make the team. And, and instantly, I'm like, dude, I'm way better than that kid. That kid sucks at basketball. <laughs> I'm way better. And I went inside, and I was like, Mom, can, I, is, you know, can you help me figure out how do I sign up for basketball camp? And she's uh, kind of surprised. I'd never played basketball except at recess. Uh, no organ no, never an organized team, nothing. But I was pretty athletic, and I was better than that kid, so I had a pretty good chance. Uh, it's kind of like that joke. If you see a bear, just be faster than that guy. I was better than that guy at basketball. So she signed me up, and it was a few days later, and I show up. Uh, I was unprepared. Uh, the first assignment in that basketball camp, we got paired up to do a scrimmage as the coaches were going to try to evaluate our skill level. And there's this guy that I'm, you know, I'm, whatever, I'm number 34, is number 17. And they said, all right, Shimmel, you're, on, you're guarding him. And I look over, and remember, you know, starting in uh, freshman year of high school, you're like 14, and uh, all shapes and sizes, especially of boys at that age. And I was probably right in the middle maybe 5'10", maybe 110 pounds, like just a bean, stick, strict, string bean. And I look over, and there's this giant man-child. 
who's got a full beard. I mean, no kidding, 14, beard, he's got muscles. It, the guy's name is Carson Palmer. Some of you might have recognized that name. He was uh, ultimately a Heisman winner at USC as the head quarterback, and then he played 16 years in the NFL. That, I didn't know who he was, uh, but that was him. Fully developed man-child that I was supposed to guard against, and he just destroyed me. For five days, I was absolutely beat down. I did not make the team. Spoiler alert, nor did my friend. I just can't stand that feeling of being unprepared. Years ago, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, uh, I was asked, this was probably 10 years ago, asked to go speak uh, for a weekend at a church across the freeway called Torrey Pines Christian Church. And I, sh- I said yes to the first weekend. They said uh, there was kind of this uh, leadership issue and the pastor wasn't coming back from sabbatical. That's all I knew. So I show up to speak kind of like this on a Sunday. And then as I'm hanging out and talking to people, it occurs to me uh, that they have a bigger problem than just this Sunday. And I uh, went up to the, the folks who worked on staff and I said, hey, let me know if I could be helpful for the next uh, couple weeks. Let me know. I- I'm happy to come back. And they said, would you? Could you? I said, okay, Sure. Uh, Long story short, it turned into 18 months of me speaking every single week and becoming kind of the interim lead staff for a year and a half. And uh, the problem was that was I I really enjoyed it, and it was uh, such a rich time for our family. Our daughter had just been born, just a little tiny baby, our third kid. I'd also just started this company and in full startup mode, uh, trying to make a sale, trying to uh, uh, please investors. Uh, baby at home, please investors, and then I'm speaking every single Sunday, and I was trained and taught how to prepare for a sermon properly, and properly it means write out a manuscript, uh, spend 25 hours uh, of deep preparation before coming up to stand in front of people to deliver and speak on behalf of God. You kind of take it seriously. I was trained in this uh, deep art of investigation into the Bible. And, and before you, you know, write any note, listen and ask God what to say and what to do and what the scripture means for them and what it means for us now and write out the whole thing and then try to memorize the whole thing. That's how I was trained and that's what I had been doing for a few years at that point. The problem was I didn't have time for that. And uh, yeah, they still needed me every Sunday. So I started this more or less experiment with little time, very little sleep, uh, every week, I just would kind of tell God, hey, I don't have much time to prepare. Would you please help me this week? And I'm just going to trust that when I get up there, you're going to give me something to say. And that usually worked. I could usually pull it off, except for one Sunday. I remember sitting in the front row, similar to the day, and the music is ending, and I had been going on this experiment more. It wasn't like I was unprepared. I, it's not like I had nothing to say. But in terms of me writing notes and writing out a manuscript, I had kind of stopped doing that. It morphed into bullet points, kind of stopped doing that. It morphed into just having a passage of scripture to speak from. And I'm uh, sitting in the front row, and I'm starting to have close to a panic attack. I've got nothing to say. I mean Nothing. Not a passage of scripture, not a point, not a story. I've got nothing to say. And I stand up there, and the next 25 minutes are a complete blur. I have no idea what happens. And every now and then, as I speak, and I've spoken often, I'll have people come up and say, hey, this was, what you said here was so meaningful. And I'll think to myself, I didn't even say that. You know, I, I just kind of trust that God's going to do what God's going to do during these minutes, during this, this time. I, I've learned to not really take it very 
uh, personally, I guess. It's not necessarily me. It's the Spirit of God working through you. There's some things I'm trying to get across. Nobody understands. Some things I'm not even trying to say, and people take it for what it it means to them in the moment. God's going to do stuff. But that particular Sunday, I remember feeling so ashamed, so embarrassed. And I could tell, you know, even if I did a kind of a B-minus job, people would still be kind. That Sunday, though, as I stood in the back and they wanted me to kind of a formal, like, shake hands with people as they walked out of the church, I just got a lot of, like, see you next week <laughs> to me. It wasn't, not one person was like, oh, my gosh, I love that scripture. Oh, that was a great point, a great story. It was just, uh, see you next week, pastor. Uh, better luck next time. That's how I felt. And I have made a commitment ever since then to not, to not let that happen. Even if it means I need to wake up at 4 a.m. and be prepared, uh, I want to be prepared. Here's the reality. God is at work all the time. God is always at work. And I think you, especially unless someone really dragged you here by the hair, uh, you want to be a part of what God is up to. You want to participate in what God is doing. I think God is doing something in you. I think God is trying to do something through you. And I don't want you to miss that. And I wonder how often you do. I wonder how often there's a moment you're up to bat, so to speak, and you forgot to stretch. I wonder if there's moments where you're around somebody, a family member, a friend, a coworker, a colleague, even a stranger, and God wants to say something through you, but you've got nothing. I wonder that for you, because I know it's true for me. I want to be a part of what God is up to. What does that look like to be prepared? We're going to dig into that this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord, uh, we're here because we want to meet you. We're here because we want to be uh, uh, used by you. We want to live our lives in such a way that it's in, in, in tune with you, in harmony with you, uh, tuned into your frequency. We want to hear what you're saying. We want to see what you're doing, and we want to get in on that. That's where true life is. That's the life that we long for. And I don't want to be unprepared, Lord. I don't want to miss out. I don't want to feel like I'm stuck in a moment and I'm just not ready for it. And so I pray, God, that you would speak to us. Help us to hear from you this morning and help us to see the opportunities over the next few days where we can participate with what your Spirit is doing. We pray this and ask this in your name. Amen. We're going to look at a story that Jesus told. It comes from Matthew chapter 25, and I think it'll be up on the screen. If not, uh, you can listen to me read it, and it's also in your Bibles if you have it. And uh, sometimes I wonder, like, couldn't Jesus have just given us a couple bullet points? Just tell us what you mean. Why'd you have to wrap it up in a story? Uh, this is one of those times where I'm like, this is a, this is a story that uh, I feel like, what do, you, what do you want us to, to learn from this, Jesus? And uh, I think he did it. I think he told stories because stories are, frankly, more memorable. And here's, a, here's, I think, a really interesting story that I've missed. I've read through these gospel stories, and this one I'm like, okay, next but I've been spending time in it this week, and I think there's something here for us. Uh, Jesus is speaking, and this is towards the end of the, the, uh, the Gospel of Matthew. This is toward the end of Jesus' life. And he just spent a long time, this long message with his disciples, talking about really the end times. And the end times uh, of uh, using poetry and metaphors. And we're not going to get too far into that. But Jesus is in this conversation of uh, how to understand what God is up to in this kind of global cosmic sense. And he starts with this in uh, verse 1. He says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids 
who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. It's the groom. Uh, so just uh, kind of a, uh, set the scene here. Uh, weddings in, in ancient Israel were a particularly big deal. Uh, just imagine life pre-internet, pre-streaming, pre-Netflix, pre-sports. Uh, the, uh, everything was about community and connection and coming together. That was really uh, entertainment. And, and nothing could really kind of peak higher than a wedding. Uh, a wedding feast was, uh, and I, these days, I've been to so many weddings over the years, I'm like, can we just, you know, go to the party? Can, but not for them. They would really just relish the opportunity to spend time stopping work, being together. Uh, often, oftentimes, a wedding celebration would go on for multiple days, uh, many, many days of a party. Uh, oftentimes, the weddings would, would happen at night, and this kind of huge affair where everyone in the village and surrounding uh, countryside and uh, just be this huge, huge party. So here's Jesus saying, the kingdom of heaven will be like that. It'll be like 10 bridesmaids, uh, young ladies, young girls, who took their lamps and went to meet the groom. And that was part of the ceremony. Uh, the groom would come in to the kind of the, the village, the ceremonial uh, moment coming in, and the bridesmaids would be out there greeting the groom coming in. Five of them were foolish, however, and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. All of them. So all of them, all five, five wise, five foolish. And at midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the groom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. While they were going, gone to buy oil, the bridegroom, the groom came. Those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, Believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. Part of my wonder is uh, Jesus' choice, speaking to a, a group of likely uh, uh, teenage boys, young men, using uh, the story, calling them effectively, you all are like a bunch of bridesmaids <laughs> waiting for a wedding. And some of you, uh, all of you are going to fall asleep. There's no question stuff's going to happen. There's no question you're going to be caught off guard. But the wise ones are the ones who are prepared. And it's a real simple way to uh, uh, pack in a, a spiritual principle that we're talking about this morning. What does it look like to be prepared? What does it look like to be ready? To go in where the party's happening. To go in where God is uh, doing something. Uh, Paul says it in Ephesians in, in chapter 5, 14. He says it a little bit more bluntly. Wake up, O sleeper. Wake up. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ's light will shine on you. There's an enduring message throughout all the scriptures about the same idea. Wake up. Be prepared. God is doing something. God is up to something. And those of us who have eyes to see, who are ready for it, who are waiting for it, who are doing things to prepare ourselves, can be a part of the story. Those who aren't ready will miss out. 
I think there's a, a few reasons why we miss out. I think there's a few reasons why we're unprepared. I'll just speak uh, uh, from my life. I oftentimes have too much stuff going on. I've got too much stuff going on, and it's one part work, it's another part family, but it's another part just noise, layers and layers and layers of noise that's happening in my life. And perhaps God is doing something, perhaps God's trying to say something or get, trying to get my attention, and I'm just, I'm locked in my schedule, my to-do list, I've got things to do, I've got to go to the grocery store because that's happening, I've got to call them back, I've got to get that done, I've got not to mention work things, and I've got people interrupting and say, hey, can you go there? I've got kids wanting to borrow my car, I've got no gas like this morning, I get to the car, my son left the car with no gas in it. There's just so much stuff going on, and the idea of being spiritual to me, oftentimes, the kind of mental model I have for that is going away, being quiet, being uninterrupted, having nothing going on, going to by myself to be in nature. That's the kind of mental model I often have about what it looks like, what I need to be spiritual. Since I don't have that, I just got to get after my schedule and my to-do list. I oftentimes have too much stuff going on. Oftentimes, I think uh, also... We're just not aware that we're supposed to be prepared. We just don't know that that's a part of the thing. Many of us were raised in a, in a, a spiritual Christian tradition that didn't talk about as much God doing something in our lives now. It was much more this transaction of believe some things mentally about God, and then later on, when you get to heaven, then that's where the real stuff happens. Until then, just kind of do what you're supposed to, be nice, Show up on time, give a little money, and bada-bing, bada-boom, you'll be set for life, the afterlife. And it wasn't much about now, here and now. It wasn't as much about a mission. Uh, we just don't maybe know that God is up to something today. Jesus teaches people to pray, that kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They think he meant and implied again and again that would happen now that we, the disciples, would be a part of what God is up to now. That we would be looking, actually attentively looking, for ways in which God's kingdom had not yet come, where God was not yet in charge of things. And then we, through our actions, through our words, through our presence, would be about setting things right. Doing things the way God would do them if he were in our shoes, in our position, in our families, in our friendships, in our communities, in our work. We would be attentively looking for ways to participate. Not wait, but participate in what God is up to. I think sometimes we forget that. And I think the last reason is we just sometimes uh, forget how. How do we be prepared? How do we participate with what God's doing? How do we listen to his voice? How do we see what he's doing? There's three things I want to share. Three ways in which we can more fully participate and be more prepared to be used by God, to see what God is up to. Number one, scripture. Uh, uh, whatever reason or whatever idea you've had for reading scripture, I just want to ask you to consider this week that a part of us returning to the scriptures and reading it for ourselves often is so that we can spot what God is doing as we go about the rest of our days. There's something about soaking in Scripture, meditating on Scripture, reading the words, the phrases, the ideas, the thoughts that has helped me see patterns more consistently. 
I can actually see things. I'm like, this actually reminds me of a story that I was reading. Sometimes it makes sense to talk about that out loud, but oftentimes it's just an internal thing. Like, oh my gosh, this sounds like something God would say. This reminds me of a story I was just reading. God has often used, I don't know if this has happened to you, often used something I was just reading in the scriptures, and it comes up in a conversation like an hour later or a day later. And I maybe... Maybe coincidence, but I think actually God uses kind of the, the scriptures to tune us into the frequency of what he's up to. I don't know how many of you are uh, sailors or have sailed in the past, but there's this metaphor I've heard, I can't remember if it's Eugene Peterson or Dallas Willard, one of those kind of great intellectuals about the spiritual life, talked about that our spiritual lives are really about us uh, raising the sails to God's spirit. We're not the winds. We don't make things happen. God's the winds but we can raise the sails of our spirits to catch when the wind blows. That is what we do when we study and read and meditate and reflect on Scripture. It's raising the sails so that we don't miss out when the wind blows. Reading Scripture is one way to be more prepared. Second would be uh, reflection. There's this uh, ancient practice called the prayer of examine. If you want to look it up, it's super simple. Here's the spoiler alert. Here's kind of the cliff notes. At the end of the day, the prayer of examine would be this kind of reflective process as you're be- maybe before you're kind of laying down on the pillow, before you're laying out of bed, just to think back on the day, what happened today? Where was I? And what was perhaps, as I look back, what was maybe God doing? What were the moments where I felt God's presence? What were the moments when I felt God's absence? But I didn't feel connected. I didn't feel in tune to the frequency of God. And it could take 30 seconds, maybe a few minutes. You might even write down some thoughts in a journal if you're like that. But the prayer of examine is a way to capture what was going on today. Where have I been? What was God doing? What was God saying? What were the moments that I missed? What were the moments that I saw God step into something in a unique way? There's something about doing that as a habit As I lean into that, I now not only reflect back on the day, but I start to recognize the patterns the next day. I start to recognize in the moment, this is God doing something, or this is something that I've, a moment where I feel disconnected from God. Reflection. Retroactively, in the last 24 hours, the last few waking hours, what has God been up to? That's the second one. The third way that maybe is uh, as profound or, or more is uh, a really simple question to ask. When you're spending time with uh, someone that you trust, a close friend of yours, maybe another uh, believer in Jesus, and the question is this, what's God doing in your life? I spend a lot of time with a lot of people, and we talk about a lot of things, and I have a privilege of professionally doing things and getting to talk about stuff that matters, about the human spirit and and, and people's identity, it's, it's all good stuff, but there's very few people, just a couple actually, that when I'm together with them, we will ask each other that question. What's God doing in your life? And I'll tell you, every single time, I got a couple friends, John, Dave, these are two guys that I met in college that we've been like brothers ever since. And we don't talk very often, maybe every few weeks, maybe every couple months, but whenever we talk, or if we happen to see each other, they live other parts of the country, one of us will start at some point, so what's, what's God been doing in your life? What's God up to in your life? 
And every single time they've ever asked me over the last 20-something years, I don't really have an answer at first. I'm not, I don't have like a, oh yeah, let me tell you, I've been, I got the three bullet points, here's what God's been doing in my life. And it's usually like, well, that's how it starts every single time. Well, um, and then I just start kind of processing, sharing things out loud. And that attentive friend who does these things as well, soaks in scripture, reflects on God's presence in his life, is now listening and discerning with me about what God is up to in my life. And these two friends have learned to see patterns in my life of what God typically does. And sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's like it's so obvious and we start kind of laughing at each other. Like, oh yeah, of course that's what God's doing in your life. Again, here we are again. Like another lap around the track of life. God's still trying to teach you the same lesson over and over and over again. But we share this together with such uh, um, compassion and humility and, and friendship. But that question... It's kind of an a awkward question to ask at some point. What's God doing in life? And you ask the wrong person at the wrong time, they might look at you a little funny. But your spouse or a close friend to kind of say, hey, I've just been wondering, what's God been doing in your life? What's God up to? Chances are they're going to ask you that question back. God is always at work. God is always doing something. God is always speaking, but we're not always ready for it. We're not always listening. We're not always tuned in. Every morning, I take a walk around my neighborhood, and uh, uh, there's this kind of uh, cast of characters. I don't know if you do this in your neighborhood. This cast of characters that I see, it's almost like Pleasantville. It's the same person, the same place, the same corner, the same dog, the same— uh, and, and, uh, sometimes it's weird. I'm like, it's not, you know, it's, I'm, I'm 12 minutes later than I was yesterday, but there you are at the right same time. It's bizarre. And uh, not as often, but every now and then, there's a neighbor that I've known cordially over the years, friendly. We've, um, I've coached one of his kids in sports, and so we don't know each other very well. And I have to admit, every single time I see him, uh, and I see him typically like quarter mile away, I'm like, oh gosh. And nothing to do with him, his personality, it's me. At 6, 12 in the morning, I don't want to have a conversation with you, with anybody. I just, I'm in my own world. I've got my earphones in, listening to an audio book or something. I just don't want to have a thoughtful conversation. But he's one of those guys that likes to have thoughtful conversations, even at 6, 12 in the morning. But I, I've done a pretty good job over the last couple of years of just kind of like giving him the cues that I got to get somewhere. I got to go. I got to get the kids up for school or something. And he, I think he's like, yeah. But he's always like, he'll ask me close to these kinds of questions. What's God? He'll be more like, how's your family? I'm like, oh, man, you can't just be like, good morning, how's the weather? He's got to go there every time. So I see him, and I'm just in one of those moods. I'm like, I'm just not ready. I don't want to have a conversation right now. I want to go back. I want to have coffee. I want to go to the drive. I want to do my thing. And here we are. And I'm busted. I'm, I got to stop. Dogs are friends. They <laughs> And uh, without me asking, he says, well, we've just been going through it lately. I'm still, I'm just like, oh, yeah? <laughs> uh, who hasn't? I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm an inch deep. I'm not going anywhere. And then he starts to share without me even asking, yeah, one of our kids, and, and ends up sharing something I won't share, but uh, as extreme and difficult as a situation as you could ever imagine as a parent, he's going through it. And I recognized myself, I I knew that I needed and he needed me to go there, kind of turn a corner and get serious 
and be there for him. And he'd even mentioned, you know, we haven't shared this with anybody. But I just didn't have the capacity. I didn't have an inch to give. And I found myself, heard myself saying things that I cringe when other people say them. Well, you know, we'll keep you in our thoughts and prayers. Better luck to, I mean, I just gave him nothing. And as I walked away, and I mean, I just, I, I was miserable for the next couple hours. I just felt terrible. I was not there. And it wasn't, had anything to do with him. I have a lot of reasons, introvert, mourning. I have a lot of excuses, but fundamentally, I knew I just wasn't tuned in to God. That's what, that's what the problem was. I was not there, and I missed out. And that was a blatant, a super blatant moment. But I wonder how many times we miss out on moments where people needed us to step in, not because they bared their soul, but because they needed you to help them tap into their soul by being present. Because when I'm present, when I'm engaged with God, I have more capacity. I have more to give. I have more curiosity. I have better eye contact. I am here fully present because I'm now realizing God might be doing something through this conversation. We have uh, three kids, like I mentioned last week. If you're here, I talked a little bit about my wife going through these uh, terrible labor situations. And the first two kids were born uh, uh, with, uh, first one was an emergency C-section, uh, traumatic with the good results, but uh, it meant more C-sections. And uh, second baby came, also kind of a, a crisis moment, got to get the baby out. And the third one, it was uh, uh my wife was 37 weeks pregnant by maybe a day, and uh, the pregnancy had gone fine except for kidney stones that she'd been having throughout the pregnancy. And uh, at, at 12, 17 in the morning, I woke up to my wife uh, kind of crying or screaming in the bathroom. And I mean, I sat up, in, I mean, in a flash, and she's just panicked, and she's like, something's wrong. And we had had a couple of miscarriages, and it just was like, I remember, th- I remember thinking, this is going to be one of the worst moments of our lives. Something's wrong. And she's calling the doctor and waiting, and the nurse calls back, and, and uh, the nurse, of course, says, just, you know, get, get in the car, go to the hospital. And we're, we're getting in the car, go to the hospital. And, and I remember, I'm, and I, I was, I, there's a part of me that was like, oh, this is kind of cool. I get to finally, like, drive through red lights because I got a pregnant lady in the car. going, And uh, uh, so we're getting on the freeway, and my, I, my wife says, it's just so crazy. Uh, it just, it's, it's like come this intense pain is coming in waves like every two or three minutes. And I learned, look over at her, and I'm like, honey, you're in labor. She had not had that experience before. She'd had two C-sections before going into labor the first two times. And it was this moment where, and just the way she phrased it was so innocent. I have this intense cramping pain every two or three minutes. And I'm like, I think you're in labor. And she's like, what? And then all of a sudden, there was in both of us the spontaneous joy. The spontaneous joy. Nothing was wrong. Her water broke. She hadn't had that experience before. And we were not dumb people. We knew that happened. But it just, the, the, the events and circumstances didn't, we just didn't go there at first. And a few hours later, little Jane is born. And I remember walking down uh, uh, the hallway to go to the, the operating room for a C-section, and 
and I'm talking to her, and, and we didn't know if it was a boy or a girl, and we'd run, I don't know about you if you have more than two kids, we completely ran out of names after two. We got nothing. We don't know if it's a boy or a girl. We got no boy name. We got no girl name. And I'm just like walking down the aisle. I'm like, we got nothing. What are we going to name this thing? It's like coming. It's like right now. We got to name a kid right now. And then I think she turns or maybe on the, on the long list of things was like Jane. And Jane, uh, the, the meaning of it is God is so gracious. And it just felt in that moment like God is so gracious to us. This is so good. And then Jane was born and, and uh, I, I, I knew... At that point, uh, I'd had two kids. I remember just being so cocky and arrogant. I know how to have kids. I've had two babies. Like, this is no big deal. Uh, Anyone ever made that stupid statement before? Because I don't know why God does this, but you get a kid with a different personality, different needs, different, um, completely, required completely different parenting style. And over the last 10 years, it's been just like, I'm not ready for this. I need help to parent this kid, to love this kid well. But I'll never forget the moment uh, going down the elevator uh, to go, um, going back. My, the other two kids were asleep in the middle of the night. They had no idea. Grandma was there in the morning. And they're just, uh, they had no clue. So I'm, I'm driving over to get them to bring them back to the hospital to meet their little sister. And I hadn't had this moment before. I don't know why, but I hadn't had one of those dad moments where I was like so giddy. But I was in the hospital or in, in the elevator. I'm going down. There's a stranger sitting there. And it's like, I don't know, seven in the morning. And I'm so antsy. I haven't had any sleep. And I just turned, I'm like, so I just had a baby. <laughs> and it's just a random stranger in a hospital elevator. And they're like, congratulations. I'm like, I don't know, it's, it's just crazy. And they're like, is it your first? I'm like, no, it's my third. And they're like, huh. <laughs> Usually that's the experience you have in your first. And I just remember thinking as I'm driving, and I actually, on this drive back home, it was like a 25-minute drive, I just called everybody everybody that I knew. And it was like seven in the morning. No one's answering. And I just called. I like, the next number, click. Blake, I just had a baby. It's crazy. Uh, call me back. Bye. And I, again, hadn't had that. I think the first two times, it was just like so overwhelming to have kids. I had no idea what to do with them. I'd never even touched a baby until my son was born. I just had no clue. I was just like, whoa, like shell shock. But this time, it was just, I was just so surprised. I was just so surprised that God could be so good and bring so much joy. And I just didn't know that. And what I've been trying to do ever since, and I think is capture that sense of adventure. And there's been moments, I've actually, not by being a dad, but there's been moments of being, uh, uh, just feeling like I am, I am caught up in something that's way bigger than me. That's what it's like to tune into the frequency of God. That's what it's like to participate. So when you think about like, going back to read your scripture every day, make sure at the end of every day, you like, reflect on what you went through, and don't forget when you're with a friend to ask a good question, those are not a list of like boring, uh, lame things that Christians do. That is so that we can have experiences and encounters with a living God who's doing things and wants to do them through you. Do you want that? I want to do that. That's what it takes. God might use you in an unexpected way. He might zap a word into your brain and use it for a stranger, maybe. But I know that God wants to use you today when you get home. I know that your neighbors need you to be fully filled up with the presence of God. That's what they need. So what are you going to do to prepare your heart and your soul and your spirit to catch that wind? God, we want to be those kinds of people. We want to be the kinds of people who catch your spirit, who are used by you. We want to be the kinds of people who uh, recognize that you're working, you're speaking, you're doing something. And we want to be on the front lines of that. We want to be 
caught and surprised by the joy of your presence. So help us to learn, to be prepared, to tap into your frequency, to, to fill ourselves and our minds with your words, with your stories, with your scriptures, with your songs. Teach us uh, and lead us to be the kinds of people who look back on our day and see patterns of where you were at work and where we missed you so that tomorrow could be a different day. Help us to re-engineer some of our friendships so that we can uh, be the kinds of people who ask the questions about what God is up to. And more than anything, as we uh, 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 align ourselves with you, even through things like uh, our financial giving, which we can do online or in the back in the box, that we would recognize that we're being used by you. We're, we're uh, realigning our lives, every part of our lives, so that the sail is raised higher. God, would you use us? Would you speak to us? Would you allow us to see what you're up to? Cause the God I know serves all He knows how to triumph Cause my God will never fail No, my God will never fail I'm gonna see a victory I'm gonna see a victory For the battle belongs to you, Lord I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to
been here a lot lately. <laughs> if you're new, you might be wondering, uh, who is this guy? I won't be back till the end of August, I don't think. Uh, Steve will be back next week, God willing. I think he had a new grandkid that was born. I haven't talked to him yet. I'm sure he's thrilled to tell you all about it. Uh, but until then, may God the Father bless you with wisdom. May God the Son teach you and remind you how much he loves you. And may God the Spirit fill you with his uh, uh, strength and power so that you may see what he's up to and participate in his kingdom. Amen.